Thank you so much. Okay, so we're in 1 Corinthians, as uh, has been mentioned. 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read from the beginning of chapter 2, just to pick up uh, where we got to last time, okay? 1 Corinthians, and from the beginning of chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith wouldn't rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in the mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood. For if they'd understood it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it's written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not been entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual with spiritual. But the natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness to him. He can't understand them, because they're spiritually appraised. For he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by none. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote that can speak to us today. Thank you for your presence with us, Lord. Thank you for leading us to sing such wonderful things to you. This way you've changed our center of gravity. The way you've shown us that Jesus in the right place puts everything in proportion. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, for the help and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we might truly benefit, Lord, from being in your house this morning, hearing your voice. We ask it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We've called this series Messy Church. This was a strange church. It was a church that had come to birth through the Apostle Paul's ministry, but sadly was not a very healthy church. It was a church that was trying to find relevance and fulfillment in little things. Uh, little things like saying, well, look, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. Uh, like attachment to another name was important, as if it was. 
They were going to law with one another, demanding justice as though it mattered in view of the great thing that God had done in Christ. They were into excessive uh, sexual sin, looking for some kind of fulfillment without understanding what had happened for them. Even excessive uh, preoccupation with charismatic gifts in a kind of show-off way. I'm going to get some credibility, going to get some uh, uh, acceptance, some priorities, some sense of importance, clutching all sorts of different things, even what we read of here, persuasive words of human wisdom. This was very current in that generation, persuasive words, what was called rhetoric. It was great skillful speakers. There were traveling speakers in the Greek world. They had a special way of proclaiming truths. They had a great skill of speaking. They would be traveling speakers. People would gather to hear these very skillful speakers, and uh, they would carry certain knowledge, and they would be able to address and captivate people, and you had to speak in a certain kind of way. And Paul ignored that. Paul kind of just spoke uh, yes, he spoke persuasively, but not dependent on this kind of stylized way of presenting things. He was indifferent to those things. And these people were still preoccupied with them. And you have to ask why. Why were they still overvaluing secondary things? It really was because they'd failed to see that the wisdom of God had crushed every other wisdom. God said that He would destroy the wisdom of the wise. He had another wisdom that He was bringing. He had another message to a world that was struggling to find identity. Now, we just need to kind of back up a bit and see what was the setting when Paul went to these great pagan cities. We tend to look at the Bible and read it through our 21st century generation's eyes, our church-going eyes, just to back up, get a, an awareness God had revealed Himself previously to one nation. He'd come to Abraham, Moses, David. There was a temple. There were massive national psalms that they all sang. This was a people who had lived under the shadow of God for centuries, generations. They knew something of what He required. There are people understanding God is holy, uh, God can be known, God can be sung to, the great psalms, some of which we ourselves sing and quote as we have this morning. There are people shaped by a God who had been speaking to them for generations. Now, through the coming of Christ comes this commission, go into all the nations, which previously had not been part of Bible history. Bible history, God had selected a, a, a peculiar people, a, a single nation, revealed Himself to them. Uh, actually, others were outsiders. They didn't know God. We know God. You don't know God. Now's the time to go. And, and they're going to the nations. And Paul is going to some very pagan places, places that have no exposure to Christian message or Jewish background. They, they had uh, their own gods, many of them very immoral figures, uh, people that were uh, distant from God. There was terrible sexual sin. There was, there was, the pagan world was a pretty horrific place to be. And Paul's going out into that place, preaching the good news of Jesus. He'd come to Corinth. He preached the gospel in Corinth. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Numbers of people became Christian, signs, wonders, healings, miracles, gathering together 
to Jesus, a people that God is pulling out from their pagan background, forming them into a community. But Paul, when he writes to them, has to say these things to them. Look, in spite of your being a new people that have stepped out of your background, in chapter 3, verse 1, the very next verse after we, uh, we stop uh, reading, Paul says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as infants. Yeah, you're Christians, but you're kind of infant Christians. You haven't grown up into Christ. You haven't understood. You haven't been captivated by the message that should have changed everything for you. Somehow you're still looking for significance in very silly little things. To be honest, that can still apply to us. We know we've sung some wonderful songs this morning about how Jesus is everything. But in our more honest moments, we, we would also sometimes feel, well, yeah, I know Jesus is everything, but I couldn't live without this. And I need this to be kind of accepted. I'm, you know, I, I got this, I got my degree, or I, I've got my background, I've got my training, I've got, you know, this is where I find safety, this is where I find security. Actually, I'm, I'm in with these people, I, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in this group. I'm, I, you just need to understand who I am. And sometimes we're still reaching for significance from other things because we haven't been amazingly devastated and put together again by the gospel in this breathtaking way that Paul's speaking about. And we still lean into other things to give us safety, security, acceptance. And so this is not irrelevant to us in our 21st century. We need to be set free too. To understand the sort of things we've been singing this morning are absolutely true. That Jesus at the center makes everything else fall into its rightful place. So these people were still not overwhelmed by the central thing. And so Paul says, look, we preach Christ crucified. Now for us, those are, you know, it's a little phrase, isn't it? I preach Christ crucified. I could say it very quickly. And it's like a religious phrase. But actually, for the people who first heard it, it was not very a religious statement at all. Crucifixion was not a religious thing. Crucifixion was a horrific thing. It was the way in which Rome stamped terror on the world. It was a horrific way of executing people. And Christ, well, who is Christ? Christ crucified. Well, Christ, let's just remind ourselves, Christ the Messiah. The Messiah is the Hebrew way, it's the Old Testament way of describing a great figure who was going to come on the world stage. He was going to be anointed, that's what the word means, empowered by God. Just as other Old Testament historic figures were, he was going to be supernaturally empowered. And the Old Testament is full of promises about this one who will come. Uh, he's called another one like Moses. He's called the son of David. We read in Isaiah 9, unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born, the government will rest on his shoulder. Of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. God's going to send a mighty Jewish king like he sent David. That's the promise that keeps coming again and again in the Old Testament. It even tells you where he's going to be born. He'll be born in Bethlehem. So when the, the, the wise men came saying, where will he be? Oh, yes, he'll be in Bethlehem. We, we know this one's coming. The nation's expecting this great deliverer to come. Now, sadly, their comprehension of that wasn't in terms that we would understand in a Christian perspective. Their understanding was he'd be like David. 
So what was David like? Well, David was a, a national hero. David, as a teenager, stepped on the scene and took out Goliath. He's a national hero. He's an amazing guy. Not only did he take out Goliath, he got promoted in Saul's kingdom and then went through a training season and then came to reign. And under David, the army of Israel was invincible. No other army could stand before him. He threw back the power of the Philistines who were trampling Israel underfoot. The Philistines were uh, full of power, uh, full of arrogance, as Goliath represented that, just mocking Israel, saying, hey, you, you haven't got a hope against us. David took him out, raised up an army like the army of God. That's how it's described, with many warriors that gave themselves to David's lead. And under David, they became a massively powerful nation. When David handed over the kingdom to his son Solomon, it was most probably the most powerful kingdom on the planet. It says many, not only the Queen of Sheba, but many kings came to see this phenomenally rich, powerful kingdom. They'd never seen such wisdom. They'd never seen such riches. There was gold everywhere. Tremendous, powerful king, Israel. And it was the Old Testament's peak of revelation of the power and majesty of God amongst the special people he'd raised up. David had taught them these beautiful psalms. They could sing about God. He was invincible. He's with us. He's all powerful. And this is an amazing people, hugely blessed, massively privileged. But tragically, they turned away. They turned away. They turned away. They went after other gods. They became disloyal. And they had to get thrown out. And God had to deal with them. And by the time Jesus came on the scene, it's not the Philistines that are dominating them, it's the Romans. Once again, they're a dominated people. Yet there's the promise, a Messiah's coming. There's the promise, a king will be raised up, a mighty one, an anointed one, one empowered from heaven like David was. That's the promise. Then Jesus comes on the scene. Well, before Jesus, John the Baptist comes on the scene. As it says in the Old Testament, before him a voice will come shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It's a promise in the Old Testament. This one will come first. And when John does come, it says all Judea went out to hear John. They'd never seen such authority as was in John. And they said to John, are you the one? Are you the one? He said, no, 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 I'm not the one. There's one coming after me. I'm not worthy to undo his bootlaces. He's coming after me. He's coming. I'm, I'm getting you ready. And so there's terrific expectation in Israel. All Judea went to hear John. They'd never known such a national awakening as under John's ministry. Expectations high. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And then Jesus comes on the scene. This little baby born in Bethlehem as promised. This woman, this little teenager maybe, woman, Mary, takes his baby Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. Wow. This son is born. She carried these things in her heart that God spoke to her. He grew and grew and grew. And at 30 years of age, it says the Holy Spirit fell upon him when he was baptized. And he began his ministry. Awesome authority. Incredible power. People healed Lepers cleansed, 
extraordinary breakout. People listening to him, gathering to him in their thousands, in their thousands. It said he couldn't enter a town because Jesus, the crowds were so great. One time he tried to withdraw from the crowds. 5,000 followed him up the mountain. 5,000 men plus women plus children, maybe 20,000. Healing them, teaching them. The Pharisees start getting jealous. What's going on here? They like religion as it is. They like being in power. They're very hostile. And, and, and Jesus is getting more and more authority. They even send people to go and capture him. And they go to capture him. They come back empty-handed. And, he, and they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They said, no man ever spoke like this man. He speaks with authority. Not like the scribes. We've never heard anything like it. This is, this, could he be the one? In John 6, it says this. They tried to take him and make him king. The crowd wanted to stamp their agenda on him. We want this king. What do they want the king for? To smash the Romans. They were not thinking spiritually. There's a psalm called the Psalm of Solomon. You won't find it in the Bible, but it's very well known, ancient psalm, current at that time. Oh, God, send your anointed dispatch the Gentiles, get them off our back, free us, make us the kind of people you want us to be. David, the son of David, come on, let him come. Like blind Bartimaeus screamed out, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus healed him. He comes up to Jerusalem. They're singing, Hosanna, son of David. Here comes the king, riding in triumphantly. When we say Christ crucified, Christ means all that. Christ means the anointed warrior king who will deliver Israel and bring in the kingdom of God. That's their thinking. But their thinking was very secular. They interpreted it secularly. They hated Roman bondage. They wanted to be free from it. When is this anointed king coming? We've got a king, Herod. He's useless. In David's day, there was a king called Saul. He was useless. When's this new king coming? Christ, the Maha Messiah. But when he came up to Jerusalem, it all went wrong, according to Hollywood. According to Jesus Christ Superstar, according to God's spell, it all went wrong. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say it all went wrong. The Bible said things like this. John, Jesus said himself, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. You find all these conversations in the Gospels where the disciples don't quite understand what he's talking about. Because they're saying, when you come in your kingdom, can I sit on your right hand? Can I sit on your left hand? They're, they're confused, but he said, no, I'm coming to lay down my life. He says they didn't understand. Then he said this, no man takes my life from me, I lay it down. What are you talking about? He's coming to lay down his life. Isn't that it all went wrong? It is that this what was planned. And even when the apostles start preaching in early Acts, they say what happened was what your hand and purpose predestined to occur. It was your intention. It was your intention. And another line of prophecy talks about the servant of the Lord. There's the Messiah, the anointed one. There's also a stream of prophesying that talks about the servant of the Lord. Now, probably Jewish people didn't put those two together. 
But our New Testament puts them together. And so the servant, it says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned away to his own way. But the Lord has caused all our sins to fall on him. He was pierced for our transgressions. By his scourging, we are healed. So this majestic, magnificent Messiah is crushed, crucified. Paul says, we preach Christ, the Messiah, crucified. He went out into the world to declare an, an executed leader. It's an extraordinary message. No wonder he says the natural man doesn't receive it. I'm coming to proclaim to you a great hero God raised up. The Romans smashed him to death on a cross. They crucified him. Again, we've crucified is a, it's a religious word today, isn't it? It's a, it's a church word. It's kind of, you see crosses. And, but in, in Roman days, it wasn't a religious word. It was a horrific word. One of their great leaders called Cicero said, Romans shouldn't even use the word in public. It's so horrendous. No Roman would ever be crucified. It's the way Rome stamped its authority. It was like terrorizing the nations. When Spartacus raised up a slave rebellion, they crucified 6,000 slaves. 6,000. The roads crucified, crucified. And it was terror, horror, brutalization, stripped utterly naked. We know our religious paintings don't put that, but clearly stripped, stripped naked, hanging in shame and horror, Birds probably resting on their heads, plucking out their eyes. Utter horror. Utter shame. We'll defeat the nations. We'll impose Roman rule. We'll terrorize the world. That's how the Romans were ruling. There'd never been such a, a cruel army. That's how they went. So crucifixion, you know, we think, oh, it's a religious word. No, 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 it's not. It's a horror word for execution. Brutalization. Nails driven through people's hands. Look in Wikipedia. I looked at Wikipedia this week. See what, see what it says about crucifixion. It's a horrible way of dying. We come preaching Christ crucified. What is this message? What is this crazy message? It's a message that pleased the Lord to bruise him. He took away our guilt. John the Baptist, when he introduced Jesus, said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he's come to do. This is, he prepared the way of the Lord. Listen, he's the Lamb of God. All that Old Testament teaching, you have to offer a lamb. It must be a perfect lamb. It must be a spotless lamb. It needs, a, it needs an innocent lamb. But it's all pointing to the authoritative lamb, the one who is God himself and yet perfect man. He will be crushed that we might go free. The wonderful good news, this wonderful message, understanding this truth transformed Paul's world. Paul was completely revolutionized by this message. He says this, the cross by which I've been crucified to the world. And the world's been crucified to me. Well, I didn't think you were crucified. Paul thought Jesus was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in seeing this cross, in seeing the Son of God love me, gave himself for me, totally transformed his life. 
He said, it's like, it's like I got crucified. It's like the world has got nothing for me. The world got crucified to me. I got crucified to the world. If that's the Son of God and he died for me, it changes everything. Nothing else matters. Nothing else has significance. Nothing else has value. What's wrong with you baby Christians? Why are you taken up with the arm of Apollos? What's it got to do with anything? Well, I want justice in the courts with my brother. What? I'm playing with sex. What? You're preoccupied with excessive charismatic gifts. What? You want it preached in a certain kind of way? Proper rhetoric? What? I'm presenting a Christ who died, who laid down his life to give you eternal life, peace, forgiveness, mercy. What are you talking about? Why do little things matter to you? That's his concern. That's his passion. Why do these little things matter? Now, in our passage, it says this, which I read to you, verse 14 of chapter 2, the natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit, for they're foolishness to him. He can't understand them. They're spiritually discerned. The natural man. Just look at this. There's two words I want to pick up from here. One, natural man. Second one, revealed. Right? They're in this passage. These things have been revealed to us by the Spirit. The natural man doesn't receive them. Right? Let's just see the natural man. Paul's going to distinguish between the natural man and the spiritual man. What does he mean? Well, you'll find the natural man in many places in the New Testament. We, we tend to think this. We tend to think modern man has turned away from this stuff. Modern man. Oh, come on. We're 21st century people. Come on. We're scientific people. I mean, in the old days, in Bible days, they were all silly people. They expect, you know, they believed this nonsense. And, but we've come of age. We've, we've matured. Come on. Come on. We're 21st century. Nah, but the Bible doesn't talk about modern man. It talks about natural man. Natural man. In other words, we're not, Christian people are not sort of born religious. You, know, you, you speak to someone about Jesus, oh, I'm not religious, as though we were. I've never been into those things, as though we were born in them. I've never believed them. As though, for us, somehow, we were on our, on our mother's milk. We, no, no, many, many of us would say, I didn't see it at all. Paul, Paul didn't understand it at all. Paul started hating Christianity. The natural man doesn't take to these things. It needs something to happen. Christians are people who've had something happen to them. They're not religious people. They're not just nice people. They're not just moral people. They've had something happen to them. They've had a revelation. Their eyes have been opened. So the natural man, it says, it says when Jesus had this conversation with a guy called Nicodemus, who was a religious ruler at the beginning, he's a Jewish religious leader. And he starts talking to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And he said, what do you mean? How do I get back into my mother's womb? What are we talking about here? He's a natural man. Jesus said, you need a new birth. You need to be born again. Huh, what, get back into the womb? How's that happen then? 
It says, when Paul preached in Athens, it says, Paul preached, and when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, they began to sneer. So some believed and joined. But the crowds were going, See, it's, it's not a new thing to say, huh, resurrection. When Paul preached it, they said, When Paul preached uh, in front of um, Festus, you can read about it in later Acts, he preached to him about, he'd seen Jesus. Jesus is here. Jesus is alive. Preached about Jesus. And Festus, uh, he says out loud, he says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you mad. Natural man doesn't receive. Natural man doesn't accept. The Bible says this. Light, this, is the, this is the tragedy. Light came, but men preferred darkness to light because their deeds were evil. Sometimes it's not that I don't understand, it's that I don't want to understand it. If this is true, the implications are horrific. If Jesus is God, if he did die, if he's alive again, hey, the implications are massive. Don't even talk to me about it. Don't even talk to me about it. Great philosophers like Bertrand Russell, brilliant mind, brilliant mind, disgusting life, seduced a lot of men's wives. The great Bertrand Russell, you read about him, horrible, disgusting man. Oh, it's better to just be aloof, isn't it? Oh, we've rejected these foolish thoughts. I can carry on with what I'm doing. It's a moral issue very often. We say we don't understand, but we often don't want to understand. Then it says, these things were revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so two words, natural man, not modern man, natural man, ordinary man. There's a rejection. There's a natural rejection. Then the second word, he's revealed by the Holy Spirit. So in these four verses, the Holy Spirit is mentioned six times. In four verses, this, this supernatural coming, we have received, Paul says. Suddenly something happened to him. So Paul himself had been a natural man. When he first heard these claims that Jesus is the Messiah, he opposed it. It was offensive to him. He's a Jewish guy. Messiahs don't get killed. Messiahs come with power. So when they said Jesus is the Messiah and he'd been crucified, Paul opposed it, opposed it, opposed it. He, he went from town to town. He got authority to snatch Christians out and put them in prison. He's hostile. Then he saw the light. See, he had an experience. Christ came to him. The Spirit opened his eyes. The God, this is how he puts it, the God who commanded light to shine in the darkness, in other words, the Creator, shone into our hearts, giving us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's a Jewish rabbi. He said, the glory of God's revealed to me in my heart in this revelation of Jesus. The most famous conversion in the book of Acts, Saul of Tarsus, overwhelmed by this revelation. He's alive. He's the authentic. He's the real thing. God came to him. There's one man they tried to argue with that Jesus healed. He said, look, I know you're arguing this and you're arguing this, but this one thing I say, I was blind, now I see. Because they argue, who did this? What what are your parents? Were you born blind? Listen, listen. One thing I know, I was blind, now I see. That's the gospel, beloved. I was blind. 
I remember the moment I suddenly saw. I suddenly, I was still being spoken to, I suddenly saw, it's real, it's real. The Holy Spirit reveals things to us. And he reveals them to such a way that they change our lives. But it is revelation. It's revelation. See, Jesus said to Simon Peter, who do men say that I am? They gave out answers. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus said to him, wow. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. In other words, Peter, you're not so clever you worked that out. My Father in heaven has revealed it to you. See, God has to reveal himself to us. Now, he has revealed himself in the creation. If we had time, we could talk about that a bit. He has revealed. The Bible says he's revealed the sunsets, the sunrises, the hills, the, the flowers, the fragrances. The whole creation speaks God. You just think, Lord, this is magnificent. This is staggering. This is beautiful. You made it. It's all, the Bible says it's speaking to us. But natural man says, no, natural man says, no, it all happened. It just happened. 3.8 billion years ago, something happened. There was nothing before. There was just dirt and filth and nothing, dust. Something, boom, and then life. Then eyes that see and ears that hear and character and love and hatred and joy. And it all came from nothing. It all came from nothing. Great step of faith. It all came from nothing. So they reject that. So, so God said, well, I will reveal myself to you. You see, we're never going to work out God. The Bible says you can't find God by working him out. I mean, what are you going to use? Chemistry? Physics? Psychology? You can't find him out. He has to reveal himself. That's true of anybody. I've just finished reading the biography of David Frost, when he gave me for Christmas. Fun book to read. I enjoyed it. Contemporary life. And one of the things that fascinated me, it said this towards the end, people didn't feel they knew David Frost. Interviewed hundreds of people, brilliant interviewer, but he wasn't a man who made himself known. Interesting. Interesting. People only know you in as much as you let yourself be known. And sometimes you only let yourself be known to people very close to you, maybe your partner, you, you, you become vulnerable. You let yourself be known. It's the only way we know people, actually. And God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself. And Jesus said this, I thank you, O God. You've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. It's not just the very clever, bright people. It's not just a highly intellectual who will work out God. It's that God's even hidden the things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Just when Simon Peter and Jesus said, well done, Simon. You know, he said, oh, I'm pretty smart. No, God hasn't revealed it to the wise and the prudent. It's just to babes. Oh, thank you. I know you know. I know you. The Holy Spirit comes and brings revelation. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. There's a program which you see advertised coming into our church called Alpha. Thousands of people have been through it. Thousands have become Christians. Interesting that often the time they become Christians is what's called the Holy Spirit weekend. There's lots of 
discussion, lots of information, lots of opportunity to ask questions. Then there's time to open yourself up for God by His Spirit to reveal Himself. God comes. God makes Himself known. The Holy Spirit coming. We received the Spirit which is from God. Jesus said to His disciples towards the end of His ministry, He took them together and what we find in John 14, 15, 16, just before the cross, He drew them all together and began to speak to them about this, the Holy Spirit's coming. When He comes, He'll lead you into truth. He'll take what is mine and reveal it to you. He said, I've got so many more things to say to you, but you couldn't receive them at the moment because you won't be able to understand. When the Spirit comes, you'll understand. It's like, I am a vine, you're the branches. Thinks he's a tree now. Oh, dear. He said this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no life in you. It says, many turn back that day. He's talking language they can't really understand. I've got, so I've got so much more I'd like to say to you, but you can't receive. When the Spirit comes, then you'll know I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I am in you. I'm in you. When I say eat my flesh, it says, look, look, the flesh profits nothing. My word is spirit and life. I don't mean eat my flesh. I mean live from me. Stuff we've been singing. Jesus, you're the center. Modern people, 21st century people, waking in the morning knowing, Jesus, you're the center. Everything else falls into place. Everything else loses its significance. It just gets in the right proportion. I can go and watch a football match in Leon. It's fun. It sure ain't everything. It ain't everything. It's fun. God doesn't want me to cut off from a world. He's made all things for us richly to enjoy. But he's the center. Christ crucified, Paul saying, come on. Come on. C.T. Stard, that great missionary, rich man, who's the David Beckham of his generation, played as a Cambridge University student for, for England. He was just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And he got converted. And he, he was rich, incredibly rich. He gave it all away. Gave it all away. Went as a missionary to China. And he said this, if Christ be God and died for me, everything else is irrelevant. It's just captivated my life. Everything falls into place. He's the center. He's the center of everything. The natural man doesn't see it. Interesting story of William Wilberforce, that great hero of fighting the slave trade. He was a dear friend of William Pitt the Younger, brilliant man as well. He was the youngest prime minister this nation's ever had. Just a brilliant, brilliant man. Wilberforce, they were both brilliant parliamentarians. And they went together. Wilberforce urged William Pitt, come and hear John Newton. John Newton, the former slave trader, converted converted, wrote Amazing Grace, wonderful old hymn. Come and hear him, come and hear him. And he went and heard him. And Wilberforce is drinking it into wonderful, wonderful stuff. At the end, William Pitt says, I don't know what he was talking about. The natural man, be it so brilliant, doesn't receive the things of the Spirit. 
they are revealed to us. God comes to us. And when he has come to us, he changes our values. He transforms everything. So Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, I'm praying for you. In another church, I'm praying for you. The eyes of your heart might be opened. That you might come to know the riches of his grace towards you. You need to come to, the more you come to know, the more you let the Spirit teach you, the more you let God reveal himself to you, everything else will fall into place. You poor, messy Corinthian church. I had to write to his children. You've seen it, but you haven't seen it. You say you're Christian, but it's not got a hold of you. It's not the central thing in your life. It's just a hobby. Other things count more. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his love for us. Let's pray and let's sing. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you, the majestic, holy, wonderful God, laid aside majesty, laid aside glory, was smashed to death against the cross, willingly laying down your life, taking away our guilt, standing in our place. Thank you so much, Lord, that Christ crucified changes everything. We thank you for the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God. We thank you so much that we could not work it out alone. We could not find our way alone, but now we have the mind of Christ. Now we have another perspective, a completely different view. Keep, Lord, singing this song in our hearts. Keep changing this value system. Keep working in us, Lord, that we may not be a modern, messy church, but a church that glories in the cross and glories in Jesus. Lord, hear us, we pray. Thank you, Father. Amen.